Kia Studios, here's Mike Gill. Uh, don't forget tonight, we've got Yankees and Rays coming up at 7 o'clock on 97.3 ESPN. Series is all tied up 1-1. One, one. Can't try to outraise the race. Can't do it. You can try to outspend the race. You just can't try to outraise the race. You can't go bullpen game. Come on, Yanks. You're better than that. 248 million to 75. Just outspend them and try to squish them. You try to outraise the race. You play with the bull, you get the horns. You know what I mean there? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Jason Fitz, Spain and Fitz, 7 to 9 on 97.3 ESPN Radio. So much to dive into today as we, uh, Got all sorts of issues in the NFL, possibly. They might have to shut some things down. Who knows? We hope everything goes off. we got the NBA Finals. got the baseball playoffs, college football. Another big weekend here. Let's bring in Jason Fitz as he joins us now, like all guests on the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Jay Fitz, how are you, pal? Man, what you just said is so true, and I can't believe being lost in this. I mean, if you're the Yankees, you know what you do well. Just go do what you do well. Like, just go knock the snot out of the ball continuously. Do what you do well. But you're absolutely right. You can't outraise the Rays, and I'm not sure exactly what they were saying. I still think that, you know, they should be on paper good enough to win this matchup. But it just it does not feel good for Yankees right yeah, now. Yeah, I said, like, this is like what I used to say, like, when the Rockets did with the – I was like, you can't out-Warriors the Warriors. Stop, like, trying to make more three-pointers than them. you got to beat them in another way. You can't just out-Warriors the Warriors. Now the Yankees are like, oh, you're going to go a bullpen game? I'll go a bullpen game. Let's try – it's like, what are you doing? Just, like, do work with what you got here, man. I don't understand it. But I'll tell you – uh, that series is very intriguing. The teams don't like each other. you got a 1-1 series. That one of all of them seems to be sticking out. Yeah, you're absolutely right, and partially because, look, the Yankees were so on fire when they were actually healthy, and then it fell apart. Now they get healthy again, so we all figure, okay, they're going to wake right up. It just It isn't that easy, and it feels like, you know, you mentioned the NBA side of it. How often do we talk in the playoffs about, like, sometimes the better team is still a bad matchup for somebody? It feels like kind of what the, the Yankees have drawn here. It just doesn't feel like a matchup that favors them, especially when you start talking about the pitching side of it. So, you know, I feel actually like it's the hardest series to predict because of that. Now, baseball is normally on at this time going up against football, but with the NBA Finals in the mix, do you think that it still has a reasonable amount of appreciation, or do you think it's slipping under the radar? I mean, specifically this series, I do think it has a lot of noise surrounding it, and it's kind of weird thinking, look, the NBA Finals on top of the NFL is on around the same time. It's just weird to think about. No, you're totally right. But here's the I mean, I was sitting with a couple of buddies on Sunday. We were socially distant in the house watching the Raiders Bills game. And we were laughing about the fact that at one point we'd spent largely half an hour having only a discussion about the Yankees series. And I laughed. I was like, man, who would have ever thought that baseball would be resonating over everything else? I feel like what's happened in this shortened season is exactly what baseball hoped for. They get big storylines in the playoffs. And frankly, it feels like a lot of people. The NBA Finals are a, a given. We know who's going to win. So it, it doesn't seem to have the same level of just common fan really interested in it unless Jimmy Butler goes off again. So, you know, I, I think baseball is actually catching up some ground here, and it's been little under-talked about that the NBA ratings haven't been what people hope. Uh, I was just about to follow up. If you're the NBA and the ratings have been not very good, is that a concern with the big picture? I mean, I get it. You're up against Sunday night football. You're up against baseball. You're on in the time of the year where people just aren't thinking basketball. So are you concerned uh, if you're basketball thinking, hmm, 
we got some problems, or is this more a circumstance of 2020 and you're playing your finals in October? Well, I mean, I'm going to let it be a little bit of both. The one thing that, you know, I think also has to factor in, and you can look back historically on this, anytime there's an election year, people switch over to watch more news than sports. So now you have an election year that a lot of people are very interested in on top of the sports climate that we're in where there's more options than ever. So I think you add all of that up, and it's it's part of the issue. But, man, the NBA should be absolutely concerned because this isn't just any team. This is the dang Lakers with LeBron, and it doesn't seem like casual fans care at all. And you've got the LeBron versus the Heat angle. Like, I would think that people would care. They don't. So if I'm the NBA, I am very concerned about the fact that I can't make any excuses like, oh, it's the Lakers. It's, there's no LeBron or Lakers they did last year for Canadian finals. How different is it, though, if they're played in Miami and he's there and been playing? I mean, I heard Jay Will, who, by the way, will be joining us at 3.30 today. He said he did that. You know, they're doing the pregame, and there's just no energy for the finals. I mean, like, it's got to be. And, like, as a fan, we were talking about this the other day. Game four of the finals has the same aesthetic look as the play-in games did when they first started here. Now, that's a really good point, and Jay Will's right about one thing. Like, you're right. When you think about the, the, the firepower that would come celebrity-wise with the Lakers and the Heat being back and forth between L.A. and Miami, and you start thinking about, like, what the, the interest of that is just to see the celebrities that are out in it every single day. Like, that is a real point that there's a, a different magic to it. But, you know, I, I still think at some point, you know, while I can excuse some of that, when you start talking about historic low numbers, I mean, I think that that's – anytime you say the words historic low and you're talking about a series that has the Lakers in it, I'm puckered up if I'm the NBA. Yeah, that's a good point. I was going to bring something up similar to the whole atmosphere side of things. Like me personally, when I'm watching these games, you definitely lose a little bit of it. And I'm watching anyway. No fans is better than the alternative, which is no sports at all. But I just feel like there's probably so many people out there who just kind of like what Gil said. If it reminds you of when Ben Simmons was playing out there in that eight regular season game window, and this is now game four of the NBA finals, like the biggest moment in sports history in, in terms of, you know, that's specific year it's like eh, it looks the same that has to play a role with people tuning it out yeah you're probably right about that and and in fairness i mean when you start looking at the nfl and the numbers for the nfl have been very up and down but when you start thinking about the nfl side of it their broadcast does a really good job of hiding no fans like because you're getting that pumped in crowd noise if you're watching a game casually there are times that you feel like it's a normal sunday and i don't know that the nba can ever accomplish that with the way that by default they have to broadcast it so it certainly has to play into part of it. I mean, atmosphere is part of why we love sports, right? So, you know, not having anybody to, to stand up and go, oh, my God, every time somebody gets posterized in an NBA game is significant, you know, and, it, and it's significant in the level of interest. Sure is. Uh, it, it is funny how uh, the um, the feel that you get when you watch some of these games kind of directs the way you go. I mean, the football, you can't really tell. Let's get into that, though. Jason Fitz with us from Spain and Fitz. You can hear him on 97.3 ESPN 7 to 9 weeknights. And are you concerned about football and the state of already having a game moved, got more outbreaks, there's a possibility of more games this weekend? It was all right when the buys weren't here, but is football staring down the possibility of having some chaos happening? Yeah, and I think that they're going to have to come out and tell us what the plan is because, you know, as I've said repeatedly, I thought Roger Goodell should have given pre-programmed bye weeks once a month, once every eight weeks, whatever. 
where there's no football at all to give themselves some wiggle room. They chose not to do that, but they did expand the rosters. So what I'm struggling with is you expand the rosters because you say that that's going to help you when you have COVID outbreaks. But every time we see a single positive test, it feels like a game gets shifted around. So how are they going to have their cake and eat it on this too? And I, I just don't think there's a simple explanation. And the Titans being where they are, I mean, guys, this is like, uh, to me, I don't, I don't know why we're not all looking at this yelling about it. I mean, there's a chance that the Titans could end up, because of the way the schedule is going, somehow not having to even play the Steelers and the Bills, two of their toughest matchups that they're going to have this season. They'll be judged in their division against a team like the Colts that won't have that luxury, may have to play those difficult teams. All of a sudden, what are you going to do when you've got a 10-2 and Titans team that got lucky on some of the games missing, and they're being judged against, let's say, an 11-5 and Colts team? It won more games but has a lower winning percentage. So now all of a sudden the Titans win the division. Like, that's a real possibility in this NFL season. And that is going to absolutely tick fans off. Yeah, that's going to be something. That's for sure. But I just keep telling myself, if baseball, the worst-ran organization ever, if baseball can figure this out, don't you feel the NFL can? Well, yes, and they did for a little while. But now... I mean, what have we seen in the last couple of days? Like, there are reports that, you know, I know ESPN, last I read, ESPN hasn't verified, but there's reports that the NFL is investigating whether or not the Titans decided to get together outside of the facility when they were told not to, to continue working out. And, like, you want to sit there and commend this level of commitment to getting better. But then you look at it and say, guys, what are you doing? And you got everybody knows my Raiders fandom. I'm watching a head coach that's costing his team half a million dollars in fines because he just can't seem to figure out how to keep a dang mask on his face. And then they got players going to charity events that are not wearing masks because that's what's being accepted in that locker room. So, like, I have to look at it and say, how did everybody already not learn from Major League Baseball and figure out, hey, if we want to make it through this season, we have no choice but to make four months of tremendous personal sacrifice. Uh, He's Jason Fitz. Um, Jay, do we see another NBA Finals game after Game 5? Yeah, I, you know what? The only reason I say yes to this is because when we first talked about the finals, I told you all, like, I feel like Miami is just, they are a Tasmanian devil. Jimmy Butler is a Tasmanian devil. And he's going to out-effort the Lakers, who, while I think the Lakers are going to win the championship this year, obviously, I think we should at some point, when the dust settles on that, look back at this Lakers team and ask ourselves how it's possible that the NBA champions could mail it in so many times in the playoffs. Not even the bubble. Just the number of games where either AD or LeBron has just felt like maybe they're not that into it is, is really stunning for a team that's so good they're going to win the championship anyway. I think that should be a defining part of how we remember their championship is that, man, they could get out-efforted, and I don't remember the last time we said that. I think Miami will do that and get one more win out of it. Uh, it's been interesting. It's been uh, definitely different, but uh, we look forward to that. And, of course, Jason Fitz, like all guests, appeared via the boardwalk Honda Hotline. We will catch up with him. We might have an NBA champion by the next time we do. Football season, college games, a lot going on. Woo, we got the Masters coming up, too, in about a month. All right, Jay Fitz, appreciate it, man. Hey, you guys have a great day. Say hey to Jay Will for me. He's the best. I will do so. He's coming up in about 15 minutes from now here on the Sports Bass Live on 97.3 ESPN. Jay Will uh, going to be joining us to talk a little bit about uh, Doc Rivers. He says, I want to be known as Glenn Rivers, though. That's interesting. Now, here's something I saw from John Clark. He tweeted this out about an hour ago. Did you see this about the Philadelphia Union? They will become the first team in Philly area to welcome back fans this Sunday, 2,775. Well, the governor said 15%. Did that mean that the 
mayor of Philadelphia has said because the Eagles were not included. The Eagles, they play in Chester, but isn't that in Philadelphia County? That's where we need to do our research. Yeah, I'm Our not research team, sure Josh that. Henning, is on it. All right, we got more text messages that we want to react to, 609-403-09. If they're outside of Philadelphia County with the where the mayor, I guess they're... Oh, they're Delaware County. There okay, you go. They're there a Delco. Okay. Yeah, so they don't need the mayor's approval. 2,775. At a soccer game, that's going to feel big. Would you go to a union game? I'd like to go to a union game at some point. Have you ever been to one? Nope. Oh, okay. I've now, been to how about this? Two. The Miami Dolphins, the governor of the state of Florida, Ron DeSantis, says the Miami Dolphins can have a full stadium if they want. This Sunday, the Dolphins have declined. They said they're going to do 13,000. Would you go full stadium again? No. That's horrendous. Full stadium this week, he says. After what is happening in this league? What a joke. Ron DeSantis, he says it's okay. Yeah, well, that guy's a you-know-what, <laughs> apparently. Maybe he knows more than you. Maybe he knows more than others. I doubt it. Well, he definitely knows more than me. Really? Doubtful. Yeah, I didn't think Doubtful. so. All right, Sports Pass. Leo Show on 97.3 ESPN-FM. All right, ESPN's Jay Will going to join us at nine uh, at uh, 9.30. At 3.30 here on the Sports Pass, Jay Williams from KJZ. We'll talk to him about the Sixers hire. 609-403-0973. We'll hit up the text board. You guys have been hitting us hard with messages on the PlaySugarHouse.com text board. 609-403-0973. Guys, how many... Games average for DJAC the past five years. Good question. Five years? Um, well, let's see. In the last five years, he's played He played three last year, 12, 14, 15, and 9. So uh, I guess around, I mean, that three is really going to pull it down. So 9, 15, 29, uh, I mean, I don't know. You do the math. 9, 15, Pull out that calculator. Yeah, let me see. Well, I mean, first I mean, you thought Jay Will was coming on at 9.30, and now you're just struggling with mathematics. Mathematics. Yes. 9, 15, uh, 14, 12, and 3. So 53 games in the five years. He averages 10. I was right. 10 games a year. Yeah, 10.6 is the exact, but can't play points. Well, he could play point six of a game. Yeah, he does that sometimes. He does. Leads after the first quarter. So he averages about 10. If I told you you're getting 10 games out of Deshaun Jackson, you all right with that? Yes, but I don't think that's going to be the case. Played uh, three last year. Really not even three. The game against Atlanta, he barely played it. And the game against the – he really played one game last yeah, year. Yeah, one game. He and appeared in three. But the, the problem is, while you're right, if you look over the average, it says it'll give you a 10. But because he's at a certain spot in his career now well, where it seems to kind of be going in the other direction, that 10.6 seems to be a bit flawed. Okay, let me ask you this. This text message says, guys, his last good year was with Washington. He's been on the decline ever since. That's true. In Washington, he had 1,000 yards in 16. But in the two years he was in Tampa... In 2018, when the Eagles signed him after that season, he averaged 19 yards a catch, 64 yards a game. Would you take that? Yes. Who was throwing the ball that year? Fitzmagic? Was that? Or was uh, Jameis? Half and half. Yeah, a little half and half. It okay. was half Fitz, half Winston. Yeah, I would take that in a heartbeat. That was 12 games. He had 41 catches for 774 yards. It's a pretty big year. I mean, if he plays a full season, four more games, he probably gets 1,000 yards. I think my big concern is... 
okay, if he comes back, I'm afraid that you're going to see him limp off to the sideline and not be in plays. We're all going to be sitting there watching and go, where's DJX? Why isn't he out there? And then you hear that he might not return because of a hamstring. And I just sense it's going down that road of ugliness. Dan from EHT wants to know what type of record would the Eagles have with a complete healthy starting lineup? In this division, I'd probably say 9-7-10-6. Nothing special. That's exactly where I was going to go. I was going to go 10-6 and six at the ceiling, but you're probably seeing more of like a 9-7 and seven team. Right? I mean, I think that's fair in this division. They would be a good team. I mean, they wouldn't be a great well, team. I thought they they'd be, be an anyway. awful team. I figured they'd be about 9-7, and 10-6 and six right, with, with this team. Right, and that's and us By the way, at the beginning of the year, if you go back to who's in, who's out, week one, I picked, I believe, Dallas to win the division. You you still think they can do it with that defense? Well, now that I've seen Dallas's defense, I mean they're way worse than I thought. How can they be that bad? It's gross. What well, you we talk about this when you know you what's happening, right? You go back, you assess what's wrong, and then you try and fix that with the team. Imagine trying to have a film study session with that defense. How long are you there for? You're in you're in the office for seven hours, eight hours straight on one guy, right? They're bad. They're awful. Yeah. I can't imagine sitting through that film. We have a Cowboys honk that works in the building here, and I was talking to him yesterday about it. And I was like, here's the difference. You know, at least in a one-on-one game where you're playing the Eagles, the Eagles struggle to score so much that Dallas maybe can keep you to, like, 30 and score 48 against you. Seriously. They could probably beat the Eagles 48-30. You think so? Yeah. You think we can score 30 points on them? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's only half of what they give up. I mean, God. <laughs> Guys, I don't know how you could sit there and think you get you beat up on the Niners. We had 10 players missing. Right, here we go. Oh, oh. I mean, if you're the Niners and you're making excuses that you had guys hurt against that pitiful roster of the Eagles, that's a you problem, man. That Eagles team stunk the other day. If you're a Niners fan and you need to feel better about yourself, by saying, eh, how'd you beat up on them? I'm sorry, buddy. That Niners team should have beat the Eagles by two touchdowns. They didn't have injury. They lost Garoppolo. Yeah, but guess what? We talked about it during the week. Garoppolo's numbers and Mullins' numbers were essentially exactly the same. I'm not saying Mullins is better than Garoppolo, but Garoppolo is not like an all-pro here that they were missing. Their offense is not predicated on Garoppolo. It's predicated on what they did with Mullins. Get the ball out fast. Let the playmakers make plays. They lost that game because, quite frankly, they got out coached. I think Peterson out Fox Shanahan. Absolutely. I was uh, a little surprised that that was Shanahan's game plan. And I think on the back end and on the defense, the 49ers have, like, it's valid to say we were banged up. But when you're facing a team that is equally as banged up as you, you can't use that as an excuse. Both teams went into that game extremely, extremely, extremely hurt to the point where you guys, it was even. It was a wash. You can't say that, oh, we lost because we were injured or whatever the case may be because so were the Eagles. Fogum. Fulgham scored the game-winning touchdown. That's all you need to know right there. Guys, when Wentz plays with Deshaun and Alshon, I think he feels pressure to get them the ball or they're going to mope on the sideline or complain after the game. With practice guys, you can just spread it out, not worry about making people happy, and these practice guys are hungry and are going to listen to Wentz. It's hard to just pretend like that's not valid, you know, because why? Why is this happening? He has a point. When Alshon, Deshaun, and these other players are out there, he struggles. Here's the problem. He had Alshon Jeffrey. He was going to be the MVP of the league. He had his best season ever with Alshon Jeffrey healthy. He had his best season ever with 
the full complement of guys. He had that wide receiver group. They didn't get hurt. He had Torrey Smith. He had Alshon Jeffrey. He had Nelson Aguilar. They played the whole season together. I think continuity is king in this situation. But things change, though. Like, as much as we didn't want to believe those rumors with Alshon and where there's smoke, there's fire, something did change that year after that where it wasn't right. Yeah, Alshon started to get hurt. Eh, That's what wasn't right. I don't know. Sports Pass brought to you by your Delaware Valley Acura dealers. Get deals on the Acura award-winning lineup. Shop online at DelValAcuraDealers.com. Jay Williams is going to join us on the other side. We'll get his take on how... Doc Rivers might change the 76ers. Doc has played very close to the vest at what he plans on doing with Ben Simmons. But how does Jay Williams see Ben Simmons evolving as a player under Jay Williams' tutelage? We'll ask Jay Will coming up next right here on the Sports Bash Live on 97.3 ESPN. ESPN. All right, a lot to dive into on the show. We got Sixers on the way as they've hired uh, Doc Rivers, uh, the dust has settled on that. I think we're both kind of comfortable with that. I don't. Again, I didn't have a guy that I was like the guy. He was like there was no guy. My dad asked me, I said, "Hey, what do you think about Doc Rivers?" I said, eh, "They could have done a lot worse, right?" I mean, I don't think there was a great candidate out there. You know my feeling on NBA coaching. I think he's more of a leader of men. That's what I like about Doc Rivers. I like the fact that he's a good leader of men more so than the exits and O's of what he might bring to the table. I would have to agree. And I think that when you look at this team and you look at Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, they definitely needed a new voice. And, I mean, I would only expect someone like Doc Rivers to walk in there and it would be a voice that is so damn respected that it hits these two players differently. You know? I mean, you would have to think that this man, who has had so much success in this league and is disrespected by everyone around this league, would walk into that locker room and it's a different sense of urgency when you hit the floor because, well, a shock factor of having a new coach and that new coach being someone like Doc Rivers. I think uh, the stuff of the press conference that stands out that I think most people are kind of talking about, you know, is the fact that, by the way, Jay Williams running five minutes late. I just got that text from... uh, the people at ESPN, but he's still calling in, so we'll have him in about five minutes from now. Sports Bash Live, 97.3 ESPN. Jay Will will be joining us talk a little bit about it, but I think what stands out about the press conference that a lot of people are talking about, at least it stuck out to me, is that he made the comment that he doesn't care about Ben Simmons shooting. He says, I don't need him to shoot. It's not about individual scoring. It's about team scoring. And he sets other people up to score, and that's fine with him. You okay with that? Yes and no, because I do value that side of things. And and I know that we all want Ben Simmons to shoot, but he's never going to be this big-time threat weapon out there. It changes spacing on the floor. I understand it. But we want him to shoot, and we just act as if, well, if he starts shooting, he's going to be this guy that everybody respects. Hell no. Guys don't even respect Giannis now, and Giannis is taking poor shots in the postseason because he wants to justify himself being able to shoot, and ultimately it hurts his team because he's not great at doing it. So I, I get his points, and it's, it's valid. I was going to ask you, do you think that we as a city put too much stock into the shooting thing, and we need to recognize that maybe there's somebody out there who can work with Ben Simmons with the team scoring aspect? I've never been the guy that says I need to see Ben Simmons shoot. Like, I recognize he – would I like him to shoot? Yes. Do I think it's a necessity? Not necessarily. It costed you a six-pack. 
<laughs> what I would like to see him be is more aggressive. If he's not going to pull up and shoot jumpers, I definitely think that he can take the ball to the rack more and get himself to the line more. That's what I would like to see. I would like to see if you're not going to shoot, fine, but then you need to give me more in other areas that you can provide, and that's getting to the line, and that's taking the ball to the basket. I know Rondo has been actually pretty decent at shooting this playoff run, but last night he didn't have his first bucket until a layup super, super late, and he impacted the game so much. Now, Rondo in his career now isn't what Ben Simmons is in his career now, but I do think that there are ways to impact the game without that threat of shooting. And when, when you look at how good Ben Simmons is defensively, I can argue that he is the best defender one through five. Now, there might be better defenders who are just rim protectors. But one through five, Ben Simmons, if you want to say he's not one, fine, whatever. He's top three if you want to go down that road. You, you can use that on a roster, you know? So, like, the frustrations with the shooting, I'll be there again. I know I will. There will be times where I want to rip my hair out because he passes up a wide-open mid-range jumper, and the frustration will be there. I'm acknowledging that. But to think you can't use a Ben Simmons and you need to get rid of him because he's just a guy, well, that is the most ridiculous statement I've ever heard. Well, that's that. not the opinion of anybody who knows anything about basketball. Well, that is There's correct. not one basketball mind We, we out must there. have a lot of people who don't know a lot about basketball in this city then. Well, that's accurate. Okay. I'm just saying, <laughs> anybody who knows anything about basketball, there's not one basketball mind out there that's saying, you know what's a smart move? Getting rid of Ben Simmons because he's just an average guy. No. Every team in this league saying, how do I get my hands on that guy right there? And how do I build around what he does? Not, let me get rid of him because I can't figure out what to do. You figure out what to do with that guy. If you're saying, hey, I got to build a team and that guy's got to be shooting jumpers and shooting threes, well, then that's a bad mindset to have. But if you say, hey, I can have a guy who's a top five to ten defensive player in the league. I can have a guy who's one of the best playmakers in setting other people up in the league. Then I got to find the right people who are going to be able to be set up because of Ben Simmons. I don't find ways to get rid of Ben. I find people to play around Ben. I, I would agree completely. Now, it's funny you bring that up because when D'Antoni was in the mix for being that guy and becoming the future head coach here, there was a lot of conversation of you're going to have to get rid of one of these guys. It won't fit the system. And I heard a lot of noise about that being Ben Simmons because he doesn't shoot. But in D'Antoni's system, what do you think someone like Ben Simmons would thrive if you have four shooters and Ben Simmons? What do you think that would be the direction? More so than let's just hypothetically throw it out there. Wouldn't you rather keep Ben and, and would you trade? If you had to get rid of one of the guys, I'm just saying, say it's Joel Embiid, you would think that Ben Simmons would work in a D'Antoni system. Because you could just thrive off of what he can deliver in terms of facilitating. Yeah, no, I mean, I think that Mike D'Antoni, he had Harden, who had the ball in his hand a lot, but he was also the guy who shot a lot. So it was a lot of dribble, 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 dribble. He would also be able to work the offense where the guy handling the ball would distribute to the others. Harden just so ball dominant that you envision... Ben playing that role. That's not necessarily the role. He would just basically be the facilitator for others who would he would have out there cranking threes up. The problem I had with it was they don't have the other guys to crank the threes up. That is very true. Now, do you think that Doc puts the rock in his hands and puts him more as the point guard role? 
Or do you think he goes with this combination stuff where, you know, hey, maybe Ben Simmons isn't your standard set point guard. Maybe you just give him the ball when you're going on the fast break, sort of like he was utilized later in the season. Sometimes it's Shake Milton, Josh Richardson, Tobias. Or do you think it's, hey, Ben Simmons, you're our point guard? Because I heard him speak about the point guard role, and he was like, look, look what happened in L.A. We didn't have well, your like traditional say, he point He really guard. said, I don't have positions. Right. So he, I mean, that's the standard NBA these days. I get it. But I would like to see Ben Simmons with the rock in his hands. Because if, if he's talking about finding ways to utilize him without him necessarily shooting, the way to do that with Ben is to have the ball in his hands, right? I, I mean, I think you could do it both ways. Right. He is good at setting a screen and rolling. We've seen that. He can do that. Right. You can, I think, look, if this was 1998, and you had Ben Simmons, you could probably play him down on the block, pound the ball down to him, and let him kind of work his way around the basket. Back to the basket, up and under, little baby hooks. He probably could play a great power forward in 1998. The problem is the power forward in 2020 is out shooting threes. That's why I don't love him in that power forward role. But if you're willing to get a lot of twos out of him, the problem is the league doesn't want a lot of twos. They want threes. Brett Brown... Wanted threes. He did not want a lot of twos. That's why he doesn't sit there and pound the ball to Joel all night long. That's why he didn't sit there and have Ben Simmons play that role. He wanted Ben to set others up. The problem is he, other than J.J. Redick, he never really had a guy that can catch and shoot a three. You know, like Furcon. I saw, our ver- I, I saw our very own Kevin McCormick yesterday tweet out a video of him shooting, and I, I, I had to comment. Come on, dude. Stop with this nonsense. Well, I mean, look, it's the one dimensional has thing. a regular season role. Yes, yes. He does not regular have a season. playoff role. Right, but that's a problem. It's like if you're going to play 82 and set this man up to play minutes off the bench to be that sharpshooter for you, what are you working? The regular season is all a – it's just a ride to get yourself ready for the postseason because in the NBA, for the most part, you know who your top seeds are going to be. It's figure out your roles, figure out your team – are you going to heavily utilize Furcon in the regular season knowing that he has zero chance at all to play in the postseason? It seems like you're kind of wasting a spot that you can use someone who can actually play in postseason. Well, every team does it. I, I know, but... I mean, you need to play... He was the sixth man at one point last year. Like, if you're the sixth man in the regular season and you can't play in the postseason, that's where you have a depth issue. Yeah, I mean, you look at Ben Simmons today, 6'10", 240. You look at Carl Malone, 6'9", 250. <laughs> I mean, Ben Simmons in 1998 is a power forward. That's really, you know, the situation where the the Sixers have to figure out what they need to do with Furkan Korkmaz is is minimal, obviously. But I'm interested to see what a guy like Jay Williams, by the way, was a point guard, but he was kind of a score first point. It's a shame we never really got to see his career materialize because of injury. But he was a score first point guard and undersized guy. You see Ben Simmons. And you wonder, can you win in today's game as a ball distributor and that that is your talent, that you can find guys on the floor? Why not? Rondo does it. Rondo did it, and they won with him doing that's it. And that's what I wanted someone to ask Doc. And if we can get Doc on the show, that's something I want to ask him. Is Do you look at Ben Simmons and say, huh, I'll use him similar to what I did with Rondo in Boston? If not, you have a, a more athletic version of him. You know what I mean? Like If you can work and succeed... With a Rondo, you would think that you can utilize Ben Simmons and his skill set and see similarities that can totally work. The other comment that Doc made that, um, and of course we got a text message, anything, anybody who knows anything about basketball knows that Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid do not compliment and they never will. They've won 65% of the games that they've played together. So I don't know what to tell you, dude. You know what I love about that? 
So the same people that claim this is great. Brett Brown is the worst coach ever in the history of the NBA. Also claim that Ben Simmons can't play and, and they can't work together, whatever. So with the worst offensive sets ever in the history of the NBA and Brett Brown and in a player who can't shoot a basketball and apparently is just a guy, yet they win that many games, something's not adding up in your horrendous and mindset of okay, basketball. And by the way, in the 65%, it's not that they just beat the bad teams. They've beaten Golden State on the road. They've beaten Boston. They've beaten Toronto. They've beaten every team that people said, oh, they can't beat this team. They can't beat that team. Brett Brown's the worst. And they went and beat them. They beat all of the teams that were put in front. They went on the road and won at Golden State. They beat Houston. They beat Toronto. Every team. When And, and Doc Rivers said this the other And by the way, that stat opened my eyes a little bit. I wasn't aware. He said, look, everybody's complaining about this team. When the two best players they have play together, they've won 65% of their games. It's not a problem of the two players. It's a problem keeping them healthy. That's their problem. And he's right about that. I don't know that that changes. He did mention that Joel Embiid is going to be playing more pick-and-roll basketball as well, and he wants to see him more at the elbow. So I think the whole style of what we're used to and what we're accustomed to with Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons, it's going to be different. We're not going to just see the – you are going to see Joel Embiid down low in the block and posting guys up because he's naturally that gifted there. But he's also going to be at the elbows. And we talk about how Jokic kind of runs the offense and he's at the top of the three-point line and he's facilitating. I wonder if you're going to see a different version of Joel Embiid under Doc Rivers where maybe he is kind of setting up the offense from farther away. Now, some people might not like that because they want him to just get down low on the block and post up every possession. But that's how 2020 is. If you like Jokic and you see him succeed, he's not just on the low block every single play. He's utilizing the elbow. He's utilizing other methods of his game that works in this style. By the way, if you are 65% of your win games, you're about a 54-win team. So the average when Ben and Joel play together is they're about a 54-win team. Look. And guess what? 54, you'd like to see that go up a little bit. You'd like to see Ben and Joel and what the hope was to get to be a 55-60 to 60 win team with those two guys, get a one or two seed. In the East, if you're a 55-win team, you're probably going to be a one, two, or three seed. In the West, probably not, but you don't play in the West. So, look, that's the thing. When those two guys play together, for all the knuckleheads out there that said they can't play together, they can't figure it out, the stats say that you're wrong. They had one of the highest efficiency rates when they played together two years ago. And they are, they win 65% of the games when they play together. It is now incumbent on keeping them healthy, right? Yes, that's what I would say. You got to find ways to keep them both on the court at the same time. And I think you're going to see a new system offensively. All right. Uh, Doc Rivers, although he says he doesn't want to be Doc Rivers anymore, he wants to be Glenn Rivers, Jay Williams. Jay Will, uh, Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Zubin, you hear him weekday mornings right here on 97.3 ESPN from 6 to 10 a.m. And I know uh, he thought that Doc was the no-brainer for the 76ers. There was a couple of choices. Jay, appreciate you joining us here. And now that the dust has settled, he is the guy. Why is Doc Rivers the right fit for this very weird roster? Wait, guys, first off, I don't want to be called Jay anymore, okay? There's a there's a big time J in Philadelphia. <laughs> I'd rather be called David. I just want you guys to know that's my middle name. I will go on from David from now on. All right. The rest of this um, conversation, he will be David Williams. Yes, yes. <laughs> yeah, you have you have Glenn Rivers and you have David Williams. That's my father's name, so it's good. <laughs> I the re, <laughs> the reason why I, I thought he was good is that 
Look, every time I've had a chance to be around Ben Simmons, I, and, and I would watch that relationship between Ben and, and Brett Brown, it, it it felt as if there was a there was respect, but there wasn't that strong accountability from Brett Brown to Ben, right? And and Joel, super talented at times young in his approach to different things. There wasn't somebody that had the history, had the accolades to say to him, this is not who you're going to be on my team, on my team. And I I say all that word, all those words tactfully, because in order to lead big time personalities, you need a coach who brings championship experience to the table. Right. There has to be something that has the attention of your star players. And I know people can then use that argument against me. Say, well, how about Kawhi? And it's a different thing that happened. I mean, they, they tried to put this team together in, in a year. They brought in different pieces. The dynamic of this team is different. I, I really do feel like this team in Philly, they want to be great. Like they really do. And I've never felt like Ben and Joel are on the same page. And if there's a person that can make this team be his family and get them to buy into each other. It's Doc knows how to do that better than a lot of other coaches I've ever seen. And you can always judge the X's and O's, but that feeling that it brings to the camaraderie of them playing for each other. I've never seen Ben Simmons and Joel Bede play for each other. I've seen them play with each other, but not for each other. And I think Doc can do that. Uh, it's very interesting point. Over the Brett Brown era, we've gone back and forth with listeners who couldn't stand Brett. They needed him gone. He was the worst. It was time to go, and yada, yada. And I want to ask you, as a guy who played in the league, studies the league, knows the league very well, I'm not diminishing the role of the NBA coach by any stretch of the imagination. But the players play, and it's a player's league. I like Doc as a leader of men. As an X's and O guy, I don't know what he brings to the table. You would probably know mm-hmm. more about that than me. But as a leader of men, that to me is almost the most important role as an NBA coach. What do you value and view with an NBA coach? You have to be a manager of personality. I, I can hire people to draw up the right X's and O's, right? That's what you have associated head coaches for. That's what you have your staff for. Obviously, you know, if, you, if you're looking for D, all the above, of course you would love to have a coach that can do it all. But, I mean, think about this, guys. Like, three years ago, like, Brad Stevens was, like, the darling of the NBA. Think about how quickly that changed when he had to coach Kyrie Irving, right? Like, you're like, oh, Brad Stevens, great at X's and O's. Like, I don't know how Brad Stevens does managing strong personalities. Granted, that's Kyrie, but those are the things you have to ask. So my thing is, for a guy like Doc Rivers, like, I need somebody to draw a line in the sand and to say to Ben Simmons, okay, like, bring in Magic Johnson. Like, you have to shoot two shots a game. If you do not, you're not going to play. Hey, Joel, I don't need this immature attitude. I need you to be the leader of us. Like, and this is what I mandate from you each and every day. And if you don't, then fine. It's going to be my way or the highway. And you, that also needs to come from management. That needs to come from the ownership. That gives you the clout to do that. And I think Doc can actually be in touch with those kind of, that kind of energy to manage the personalities on this team. If Doc can bring this team to play for one another, as you mentioned, do you think that this roster works, or do you still think that there needs to be at least some sort of change? Oh, my man. I mean. Come on, David. Come on, David. You got this, David. I know. I know. If you guys – I I sit there and I watch the finals, 
And granted, I think the Miami Heat are playing well. And I just, I'm like, man, I can't imagine what this team, what it would have looked like if we had Ben Simmons, Joel Embiid, and Jimmy Butler playing against LeBron James, AD, and the cast of characters for the Lakers right now. Like, I think about it all the time. I actually think the matchups would have worked out well. Uh, I, you know, I don't know where Al Horford is in, in his career, granted. Uh, I, I think that was a move just to try to, to get out of the East, and I think it kind of backfired with that huge contract considering his age. I think you have to do some jostling of pieces. I'm not sure exactly what that is, uh, but you need to find shooting, consistent shooting on this team. But it's not like we're talking about the East being as difficult as the West, guys. I mean, the team defensively is built to compete with the Boston Celtics. It's built to compete with the Toronto Raptors team that's getting older. You don't know what's happening with Marcus Saul or Kyle Lowry. Uh, it's Obviously, Brooklyn's going to be a different entity, but I like Ben Simmons. I like Ben Simmons guarding KD, right? I like some of the pieces you guys have there. Right? It's, it's going to take leadership, and it's going to take a Johnson with some pieces to be a little bit more dynamic uh, and to have more shooting around. But, yes, I, I think if they can play for each other, they will be in the mix in the Eastern Conference. They're right there. Doc said they had won, or Glenn said they had won 65% of their games when those two guys play together. There's this thought that they can't coexist. Where do you stand on that? I mean, 65% is nice. Is it just, eh, you pot up a lot of regular season wins, playoffs are different, or no, when they play together, they can win. It's keeping them healthy is the biggest problem. When have they been their best together, though? When has, I guess the question that you guys watch their team every single day, I watch all the league. When do you think the last time Joel Embiid was in top shape condition? Have we ever seen that? That's a, that's a question, isn't it? Doesn't that blow your mind? So when I see Ben Simmons push the ball down the court in a new age of the NBA where it's fast pace, it's space, it's three-point shooting, and then I see a traditional center who is kind of like log, logging his way down the court, I'm always going back to, like, why isn't Joel Embiid in shape? Where's the accountability from Joel Embiid there? Like, Joel Embiid needs to play faster. Joel Embiid should be like AD. I'm not saying he's like AD because he'll never be that skinny. But his conditioning needs to be at a level where he can play at a faster pace. He can post up. He can utilize him in a pick-and-pop scenario. You need shooting around him. Yes, I would love to see them on the court together, but I don't believe Joel Embiid's conditioning is at the point it needs to be in order for this team to play faster and that's, they don't need to be a team that just lugs their way down the court to play half-court basketball. That's not where the league is. And if I watch Glenn Rivers do this with DeAndre Jordan, I think Glenn Rivers has a chance to do this with Joel Embiid. I really do. He transformed DeAndre Jordan. And I think he has to transform Joel Embiid, but Joel has to want it. And people need to hold him accountable because he is the key. I'm going to tell you guys, I feel like I know what I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get from Ben Simmons. Yeah, I may worry about his shooting from time to time. I do not know what I'm going to get from Joel Embiid. And it first starts with his conditioning being held to the highest priority. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Those two are the ones that we need to, you know, to really step up and be the best version of themselves. But what about Tobias Harris? He had his best years under Doc Rivers, and I think that that has to have some value because let's be realistic. We need him to play like he did in L.A. when he was shooting from three at 42% clip, and we heard Doc talk about maybe implementing more pick and rolls for him. What do you think about that? I, I think for him, I think Tobias is a guy that when he was in L.A., he had the ball in his hands a little bit more to create. And, you know, I don't know if it was psychologically for him, uh, not really believing in himself. I mean, a lot of games, he could tell that he was the leader of this team. He's the guy that was outspoken. He, he spoke like it. Uh, even though you knew that your superstars were Ben Simmons and Joel Embiid, even though Tobias Harris got paid superstar money. 
I, I think it's about finding a, a consistent rhythm for him offensively. And the ball is dominated by Ben. Uh, obviously, you want to get Joel in the mix. And I, I think for Tobias being that third option where you're not getting as many touches, I, I think for Tobias having him handle the ball just a little bit more and, and being involved in pick and roll. The only thing that challenges about this is when you have Tobias involved in pick and roll, where do you put Ben? Because whenever you put Ben, if he's not willing to shoot the ball, this goes back to accountability, guys. You're, even if you put him in the weak side corner, you're going to have the defense rotate over because they're going to they're going to have to force Ben to prove it. So you can overload any side towards Tobias Harris, which is going to make it more challenging for him to score. Right. So this goes back into accountability, accountability for Ben Simmons to take shots, to be aggressive, to drive. Right. And then accountability for Joel to play faster. Imagine if you were to push the ball up the court very quickly and Tobias or Ben, whoever has the ball, acts as the pseudo point guard for that possession. And you have a quick screen and roll, either that's Al Horford or Joel Embiid. Uh, um, a roll to the basket, the, the weak outside big comes up and splits open to the top and can shoot it and knock it down. It's speed is everything in this league. I think if you made the game faster and you utilize his versatility more, I think he would be more valuable as a player on the court. All right, we'll leave you with this. Uh... Jay Will, a.k.a. David Will, Will today, David. just yeah. for this show. Um, <laughs> just today. Can an NBA coach make an NBA player shoot, number one? And number two, if you were a coach, would you want to coach Ben Simmons? If I were a coach, i answer the latter part of your question. I would love to coach Ben Simmons because I see, I see a fierce competitor inside of Ben all the time. He may not say or lead the way people want him to lead yet, but he's still relatively very young in the big scheme of things. I think his talent is off the charts. It speaks for itself. Um, and then as it relates to can you change mentalities, I think first and foremost, the player has to want to change. But what you can do is there could be there can be a policy in place that you implement as long as you have the backing of ownership and your front office, once again, guys, of accountability. And here's what I love about Doc. You have to be strong enough to bench guys. So fans may not like it, but my thing is it tells you a lot about your personality if I bench you, how you respond. And, and my thing is if Joel Embiid needs to be benched, then Doc Rivers is going to need to bench him. Mm-hmm. If you're not stepping up and guys aren't playing, you have to draw a line in the sand and say, hey, you may be getting paid big-time money, but your effort here is not acceptable. And strong coaches have the ability to do that, but they can only do that with the backing of management and ownership. Uh, he's Jay Williams. You can listen to him tomorrow morning on Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Zubin, 6-10. to 10. Uh, He's going by David Williams for the purpose of this conversation today. So, David, we appreciate you jumping on board with us. Thanks so much, man. Thanks, buddy. I appreciate you guys. Have a good day. At Real J. Will on uh, Twitter. And he, like August, appeared via the Boardwalk Honda Hotline. Great stuff by J. Will. David Will. I liked how he played along. He actually told us his name's David today. Um, what's the biggest need for an NBA coach? Managing personalities. How many times have we said that on the show? Managing personalities. It's number one.